edition of our show, Herstory. On the rocks! With Katie. And Allie. Typically, it'd just be Allie and I hanging out with a couple of cocktails, talking about famous women in history. But sometimes we like to talk to people who are writing, sometimes about history, but this is about pretty current events. <laughs> yeah, new stuff. We have a very special guest here with us today, Isabel Kaplan. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. We're so excited. Isabel is a writer and here to talk with us about her debut novel, NSFW. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so I am a novelist and I worked in te- I work in television now and did before and this is a novel about working in television. So I'm trying to keep everything as tight a circle as I can. Um, but I am from Los Angeles for better and for worse. <laughs> and a lot of my angst and distress and thoughts and love for Los Angeles went into this novel. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm, just, I'm still in shock that it's about to be out. So I'm very excited to be able to be talking about it now as if it's a real living thing. <laughs> I mean, we have the copy. It's a gorgeous yeah. <laughs> I love the cover. It's bright orange. It gets your attention. It's perfect. <laughs> Yeah, I love the the work ID badge. It feels like such an ubiquitous part of, you know, corporate life. Mm -hmm. Right. So I was reading that I think you did or you used to work in transferring like books to television plot. That's what I do right now. Okay. Okay. That is my uh, current job. I am the director of book to film development at a literary agency. So it's really meeting squarely in the middle of my background with books and then with television and now, you know, blending it together. But it's been, it's been great so far. Um, And it's really great to talk to authors because I am one. And I really, I do feel like I I understand exactly what the struggle is and, you know, how many different times everything can go horribly wrong when you're trying to set something up on on screen. Yeah. yeah, perfect. <laughs> All right. Well, before we get into the book, we have to introduce your cocktail. Um, so this is obviously called NSFW. Um, and we were trying to do a take on like a sex on the beach. <laughs> um, so it is white cranberry juice, uh, fresh grapefruit juice, peach vodka, and then you kind of float grenadine down to the bottom. So it's a layered cocktail. Very so pretty. cheers to you. <laughs> Mm. And it's classy because it's in a martini glass. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's also kind of reminiscent of like a Cosmo. Yeah, it is. Delicious. Very good. <laughs> it feels pretty deeply ironic that you guys are having the cocktail and I am literally at work. I know. <laughs> <laughs> because this is not safe for work. No. <laughs> right. Exactly. It is funny because I always thought that that meant um, not safe for. I didn't think it was work. I think I thought it was like something else. Oh. <laughs> I, I did not know what NSFW meant for a very long time. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, been funny. it's been fun explaining that one to people. Yeah. <laughs> it's got, it's got to be in the email subtitle, like all the time. Like, yeah. don't open this. <laughs> I mean, you have to be careful about it. You can't just send an email to someone that just says NSFW, I've learned, because that gets spam filtered really quickly. Right. <laughs> Okay, so let's start and really dive into this book. Can you set the scene for this book? Obviously, you said you're from LA and it has to do with writing in LA, but what is life like for people working in television, specifically, um, you know, somebody who's coming in fresh to the television scene as an intern? I mean, I think it's a really strange idiosyncratic world, and I think. Um, a lot of it comes from the intensity and just that it takes over your life. Mm -hmm. You're doing it or you're not. And 
it's very much, there are people who do so many different things in Los Angeles that are not entertainment, but if that is what you're doing, and if that is the sea you're swimming in, it can start to feel like there's nothing else. And like everything you do is either directly related to work or work adjacent, you know, the networking drinks and the, the system, the way it's set up, the intern to assistant to executive system is really, really brutal. Um, I mean, I think it's starting to get a little more human, but it's really, really tough and it's designed to be tough. And, um, and so much of it historically is that, you know, you deal with a bad boss for as long as you have to until then you get to be the boss. And that's a power cycle that can be really destructive. And it also weeds out a lot of people. People burn out really easily. You know, they're like, it's, and it's really hard to get your foot in the door if you don't already have a foot in the door, if you don't already have connections or privilege or past internships, which meant unpaid internships, which meant connection and familial support. And it's, it's really a self-perpetuating cycle. And I think um, there's been a lot of talk about how all these systems are changing. And I think, you know, we've gotten rid of a few bad guys, but, but now it's, it's just a lot of talk about those systems that have changed. And, you know, people know implicit bias is bad and they think they don't have it because it's bad. They don't have it. And I think um, it's interesting to see the dialogue, you know, evolve. I think in the past few years, there's been talks of, you know, unethical behavior in the workplace in ways there weren't before, but I still don't think we have a really good lexicon for dealing with most of the, you know, everyday run-of-the-mill slightly problematic but not so problematic that you can easily call it out to HR but you just gradually feel horrible about yourself kind of workplace situations Mm -hmm. and that's what I was interested most in exploring is that like the weird gray area where you think you're doing okay until suddenly you're not and what it takes to get to that point and and the different ways that can shake out. Cause I think there, you know, there are so many different kinds of difficult workplace situations. Mm-hmm. And I got that feeling like, I don't know if this was intentional or not, but like, as I kept reading, I start, I was like feeling like so claustrophobic for, for the main character. So you're like, Oh my gosh. Like I totally feel that like imposter syndrome. And like, how is she like, you know, she had like her first day and she had, takes like, you know, it was like a whole day just to set up her email. And then very quickly, you know, she's like moving up the ranks, you know, and I don't know, it's just, I think you get into that world so seamlessly and very quickly in the book, which is amazing. Um, but, I would, yes. but I would love to know. So normally we ask about the main character and, but we don't even have a name for this person. <laughs> <laughs> no, we don't. And it was sort of deliberate. Um, yeah. I, it felt important to me that she'd be very, you know, very specific, but I also wanted it to feel emotionally intimate in a way that really put you inside, inside and in the subjectivity. And um, because so much of it is claustrophobic, it's, you know, deliberately claustrophobic. I think being in your twenties is claustrophobic. I think that's an experience that like definitionally does not have perspective and it requires an intensity and an immediacy. And I think, so many people who've worked in, you know, corporate workplaces know that like, or not, or not corporate, any workplace becomes like the boundaries do dissolve and the claustrophobia becomes intense. And I think it's really, really hard to have work-life balance, especially when, you know, your life is work and you're told that you're putting in the time now to have more time later. But, you know, is that true or is that just the beautiful lie we're sold? Mm-hmm. 
Now we would love to know if while you were writing, did you have like a nickname that you were calling the main character in your head? You know, I didn't. I actually, so I wrote the first draft of this book was entirely written in the second person point of view. Mm. And uh, that was how I wrote the first draft. And so it was you. And I think, and I started doing that because I was most interested in, that's the way I think I and a lot of other women talk to themselves. Like you are not enough. You're messing this up. You're like a disaster right now. Like, can you just like figure your shit out? Um, Can I curse? I don't know. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And, and so I think that was where I came and I, I wanted it to feel intimate. And I also wanted to pull readers into this, you know, like make you feel like you are living it. And also it's that voice of self-castigation, the constant, like, if you just did a little better. And that was, that was where I started with it. And then obviously it's, you know, the point of view shifted and it's now in first person, but I had then gotten so far deep that I was, you know, can I finish this without? And the answer was yes. Um, and a lot of the main character, the whole, the family doesn't, none of them have names. Mm-hmm. And I think it's so interesting too, because you're going through it. And again, that whole thing is in her head. And I would love to know, because a lot of the thoughts she was having are thoughts that I have had. Like one of my favorite parts is she's like in this workout class and she's like, keep telling me to tilt my pelvis. She goes, I don't know what that means. Like, (laughs) I was like, I've had that thought. (laughs) So we're kind of seeing her internal struggles. But when she talks to other people, she seems so cool and calm and collected. So did you imagine that the other characters see her as like this young, confident woman? I think there's a real disjunction. I think there's a hyper, I wanted to show like a hyperactive sense of control and all of just everything that's bubbling underneath, because I think so much of what we're told is like empowerment and confidence is also really suppression and repression of a lot of really, you know, the, the less polite, the less controlled, the less accommodating the, you know, all the uglier sides and so much of being told you're empowered is really knowing exactly what and when you can share and what you can't and what's acceptable and what's not. And I think so much of what interests me about Hollywood is so much about it is, is, you know, performance. Mm -hmm. Like it's the, you know, it's how you seem as opposed to what you're actually doing that comes after, you know, you need to, but it's really just how you're coming across Mm -hmm. and it involves a lot of social mirroring and a lot of performance and, I think I, you know, in my mid twenties, I had an aha moment of realizing, you know, I've been told how empowered and confident I am for so long. And I looked at myself in the mirror and I thought, this, like, this can't be what that feels like. Like, is this it? And if it is, you know, there's got to be something else missing. And that's what I was most interested in exploring is that like the, the way that our polished exteriors, and we're really encouraged to have those polished exteriors are rewarded and the the more intimate, vulnerable stuff that would actually make it easier to connect with people if you could actually ever express it gets really tamped down. Yeah, I, that's so true. And it speaks to the way that I think most people feel in their 20s, um, which makes this book really, really relatable. Mm-hmm. Can we talk a little bit about our main character's relationship with like her badass feminist mother? Absolutely. What do you want to know? (laughs) (laughs) Just what was your goal in writing that dynamic, right? Because her mom is obviously a big influence in her life. So what, what did you want us to see in the main character? I I wanted to see a, you know, a journey of uh, towards understanding and growth. And I think it was really important to me. I think it'd be, easy and reductive to say that there are good decisions and bad decisions and 
compromising decisions and ethical decisions. And I wanted to show the main character coming in, you know, driving onto the studio lot for the first time, thinking of herself as fiercely principled, and also having been so deeply influenced by her mother, who was, you know, a landmark progressive fighter for women's rights, and then showing how and why people make certain decisions and their decisions that from the outside, it's really easy to say that's a good one, that's a bad one. But when you're in the real, really intense part of it, it's much harder and that gray area is much thornier. And I think I wanted to show two different generations of women and different approaches to feminism because I think it's, you know, it's really evolutionary. And I think there's, um, there are, both of them are very understandable. And I want, I wanted it to, I wanted there to be empathy on all sides, but I also want it to be true to the, the really like the thorny codependent complications that like, you know, no one is good or bad. And that was like, I think there's such a desire, especially in cases that involve, you know, sexual harassment or gender politics. It's everyone wants there to be a like, oh, this was the good thing to do. And this was the bad thing to do. And we are going to champion the good thing, but there's, that's not how, how life works. And that's certainly not how the experience of living through any of these situations work. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I would also know, cause one of my favorite lines was at the end of the first chapter. And I think you hit it right on the head. There's like kind of this codependency. And she's like, I know that like, I only got this job because my mom like knew this guy and he only was able to get me this kind of temp position. And she says, is it a life of my own if I need her help to create it? And I love this quote because I think a lot of, again, like strong females have this kind of let down feeling of like, God, like, is it even possible to make it on my own? And, you know, do you think a lot of people are kind of dealing with this question of independence right now? I mean, absolutely. I think that like, that's the perennial question. I think it's hard because on the one hand, no one ever does anything alone. Like we all need a community. I think the myth of American individualism and the idea that, you know, we are all doing this by ourselves, that's never true. And anyone you think did it by themselves, not, I mean, there's different kinds of networks that are different kinds of help and assistance. And I wish I could think of a society that was structured differently. Um, but I think especially right now, and especially after two years of a pandemic, when like the increasing sense of isolation, I think so many people you know, of my age range ended up spending more time with families. And there's all sorts of discrepancies between, you know, like the way our parents were living when they were our age versus how we are. And it's, it doesn't look the same and you can't compare, but there is, it's, and especially in industries that are hard to get into and that do require all of these fully unfair, unreasonable connections and privileges. I think it's, it's really hard and it can feel like a spiraling trap because you know you can't you can't get off that train and I think the real question is how to be you know thoughtful and self-aware and understand what you're doing and how and I think you know you can't make up for certain things but you can be really like thoughtful about how you engage with them and I think that's it's the question of whether you're engaging thoughtfully or just you know blissfully going along and you know letting things be easy now, did your relationship with the main character change as you were writing? Like, were there moments when you were like, this is it. I love that she's doing this. I'm totally on her side. And then moments when you were like, girl, get your shit together. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think when I started it, it felt closer to me. It felt, you know, more intimate because you start from a place of, 
of intimacy often like from deep emotional truth and feeling and and the plot is fictional and, you know the characters are and none of you know the the story did not happen to me but I wanted to start from feelings that I'd had mm-hmm. and you know I wanted it to come from that place of truth and then as as I wrote you obviously you have to structure a story that is different and then it did graduate from the okay this is not what I would do we've gone from a feeling I've had to to I now need to be true to the story and the character and it was important to me that that it be complicated and murky because I don't think no one wants to read a book about people just behaving honorably and well and being you know strong powerful empowered 23 year olds like find me a 23 year old who just seamlessly carried on through and I think as I was writing I was also you know reaching the end of my 20s and so I was able to see the experience of the you know being in your early 20s with a different perspective than I had felt when I was living it. And so I think it was interesting to see that like, this is, you know, yeah, this is a thing that's very much of its particular period in life, but having self-awareness about that doesn't change the living of it. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. And I am curious about this just because we are classic East coasters um, (laughs) and you're on the West coast and the main character goes to Harvard. She's on the East coast and it kind of seems like she's allowed to kind of shed some of the LA-ness when she's over there. And then when she comes back, she has to get the highlights again and she has these acrylic nails. And so what kind of contrast did you want to paint between, you know, our character and how she could live on either coast? Um, I mean, I am coming to you now from the East Coast where I've just moved back again because it seems that I leave LA every two years. Yeah. <laughs> the pattern of my adulthood so far. Um, and and like, you know, like the main character, I did, you know, come to the East Coast for college and then moved back and then left again for grad school and then moved back again and now has left again. And, um, and I, I don't mean to, like, I don't think it's, fair to say that, you know, LA is superficial and stupid mm-hmm. and the East Coast is smart and thoughtful and intellectual. <laughs> um, but I do think there are certain things that are true, that, you know, like LA is full of all of the most beautiful people from their hometowns, all of them. And if you go to a workout class early in the morning, that's who's there. And I think that even if you're self-aware about that, the value system just it seeps in a little and it like seeps in in really slow incremental ways. I mean, until, you know, until this, I lived in LA for the past years, but this was the first time I've moved back to LA and have not dyed my hair blonde, you know, just slowly. It just, you just get highlights and then you just keep going. And, um, and I think that it's just, even if you're aware of it, it just sort of sinks in really gradually until suddenly, you know, you're at a 6 a.m. hip hop yoga class and looking around and just thinking, you know, what am I doing here? I mean, I remember I was once at an early morning soul cycle class and just really struggling. And there was this guy in front of me with a backwards cap, just, just relaxed. Like he was just having a great time. Didn't seem hard. It was no big deal. And there was a very thin woman next to him. And suddenly the instructor called out, you know, way to go, David. Nice work, Victoria. And I realized, oh, that's David Beckham. That's oh my why God. he's yeah. having an easy time of it and I am dying is because he is a professional athlete. Right. <laughs> and it was, you know, it's moments like that that you just have the oh, okay, this is not this is not a normal point of comparison, but for lack of any other point of comparison, it's what you're working with. And I think that's the part that like 
that's the myopia of, and I think it's true, you know, wherever you live, anywhere you live, there is a sense that, you know, this is the ultimate reality. But I think if you're in this really, like, really, really intense, claustrophobic, privileged little bubble, it's hard to remember in anything but the abstract that other ways of living exist. You can remember, like, remember it intellectually and theoretically, but like on an actual day-to-day level, you know, this is the, the everyday. Um, but there's a lot I like about LA. You know, the weather's lovely. It's lovely to be there. There's a lot of people I like there. I think, you know, I often feel healthier when I'm there and I'm outside more and there's sun and like all of those things are real. Um, so that was, I wanted to, and I also think some of that is the, like the distance from family. And in this character, I wanted to show that like, that being away and out of a context, it's easier to both not feel as hurt by it or shaped by it or molded by it. And you can operate without those ties and the closer you get, you know, physically and emotionally, the harder it is to maintain any sense of objectivity. And I wanted that to become more and more intense over the course of the book. Um, and, and the book had previously, it started earlier, it went on later, but it got the time frame got much, much tighter and tighter as I went. Mm. So we've talked about a lot of really like important themes, right? That would take place as you're living in your twenties. Is there like one thing or one main theme that you would want people to take away from the book after they're done reading it? I think it's to, it's to be really careful and attentive to the gray areas and really be aware that, you know, very little is straightforward and that, empowerment is, you know, in so many ways, a myth we're sold that keeps us in line. And, and that, um, and I, I guess the main thing I'd want people to take away is to think really critically about institutions and how they shape our lives and like the difficulty of making change from the inside. I think so many of us were raised with this, you know, pre 2016 sense that like, if you just work really, really, really hard, you can make good things and positive things happen. And also that our culture and our society is, you know, especially here in America, that it's like somehow like everything's going to be like, we're basically okay. And if anything has been become clear, is that we're really, really absolutely not, you know, not on the slightest and so much is endangered. And I think complacency and just, you know, being blissfully unaware of it um, is dangerous, but I also, I realize as I say all these things, it makes it sound like all very intense. And I also wanted this to be really fun. I wanted it to be funny. I think there's so much like tragicomic absurdity to being an assistant in any industry. Just the idea that everything that matters right now and how you're going to prove yourself for any kind of important career is to deal with incredibly trivial matters very well. (laughs) And I think, you know, there is great humor in that. And there, you know, all of those absurd workout classes it's funny. It's ridiculous. I mean, it's, when I went through copy editing, my copy editor kept asking, you know, is this a real one? And this one, and this one, you know, absolutely. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) That's real. And that one too. Yeah. Right. Mm. Well, I love this book. I think it's so great. And I think that the, uh, this unnamed character is, there's so much about her that anyone can kind of see themselves in. And I think that's such a beautiful thing. And yeah, I just, I loved it. Um. <laughs> Thank you so much. That's wonderful to hear. 
Yeah, I really did. And I, there was, there's just times when I was reading it and I was like, I understand exactly what she's going through. And I am not <laughs> an assistant in LA, but I'm having all of these same feelings. But <laughs> yeah, that was my hope. I mean, it's, it's, it's its own specific job, but I think that the, you know, the feelings and the experiences are pretty, pretty transferable. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can embody yourself in that character. Yeah. And also like, there's just like this one last part where like, I love when she's kind of in her monologuing about like, oh my gosh, I'm thinking this thing. And does that make me a bad feminist? <laughs> Cause like, I think I struggle with that all the time. You know, and she's like, you know, she's talking to her boyfriend. He's like using all the correct terminology. And she's like, I kind of don't want him to be doing that. Like, <laughs> And yeah, those are the kind of just the personable, humorable parts of this book that I just, I really loved. Mm. Um, so where can our listeners find this book and find you? <laughs> um, I mean, they can find the book anywhere books are sold. Um, it's on, you know, Bookshop and Amazon and um, Macmillan has, you know, links to all the other places and Indies, hopefully, you know, I really always like to support that. And then um, I am on Twitter and Instagram. I'm not excellent on Twitter, I will admit, because it's the, all of the instincts that go into wanting to write a novel are the opposite of tweeting. So each time I tweet, I'm like, I got to make sure the tweet fully encapsulates all of my thoughts and it doesn't. So then I don't, but, um, I am on Instagram as well at at IZ Kaplan and Twitter is Isabel Kaplan. Awesome. And the book comes out soon, right? It's in like two weeks, July 5th. So exactly two months. And I, I just got one of the, like on this day, so many years ago, um, notifications today is showing me that I finished the first draft four years ago. So long journey. Well, congratulations. And we're hoping, cause this will come out, you know, before the book releases. So people should pre-order it. Right. Mm-hmm. So yes, please pre-orders matter so much more than I even understand, yeah. but I am, <laughs> I am informed they matter a lot and they go a huge, um, a huge way towards early success. So pre-ordering it would be wonderful. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much again. This is lovely. Thank you so much for having me. listening to her story on the rocks we are independently produced by 1986 entertainment and proudly recorded in baltimore maryland if there's a woman in history you would like us to cover you can email us at herstoryontherocks at gmail.com you can also message us on twitter or instagram we post all of our cocktail recipes on tuesdays so that you can go get all the supplies you need and drink along with us see you next week bye